Let's open our Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter number 9. I want to welcome all of our all of you here today and then our visitors as well that may be with us. And I, I just took a peek on Facebook and see several of you watching in this morning live. And we appreciate you doing that today. And uh, we hope you'll get a blessing wherever you are today. Hope you'll be with us tonight at 6 o'clock for our community Christmas. It'll be a wonderful time together, an expression to those in our community of love to them. And uh, then next Sunday morning, a special time here, Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock. And I think that's the only activity we'll have on that day. But I uh, hope you'll join us and, uh, for a wonderful service of celebration next Sunday morning here for Christmas Eve at 10 o'clock. I want to bring a message this morning simply entitled from the Scriptures, Unto Us a Son is Given. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Let's look at these briefly, and we'll come back to them in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from, time, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I'm thankful for uh, this passage, very familiar. I think uh, we shared this a couple weeks ago when Rick uh, introduced to us our time together throughout this month and then uh, referenced again this morning in our song and a wonderful passage from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7, unto us a son is given. The coming of Jesus is mentioned in four chapters of Isaiah. Uh, interesting, not only his first coming, but also relation to his second coming. You'll find them in chapter 7 and also chapter 9. We'll reference these two in just a moment. And then again in chapter 52 and chapter 53, the latter part of chapter 52 and chapter number 53. And uh, we'll come back to that passage in review as well. But these four times in the lesson of Isaiah, uh, one of the things that kind of helped me to understand and prove to me that the Bible is true, every part of it, it the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament that came to pass in the New Testament and are yet to come to pass, that which was spoken of years ago that were fulfilled in the New Testament. And uh, here we have in Isaiah chapter uh, 9 and also chapter 7 this prophecy of his coming not only are they found in the book of Isaiah four times but throughout the Old Testament there are about 12 approximately 12 uh, passages that are prophesying the concerning the, uh, the birth of Christ the coming of Christ by his first coming his birth and uh, given us throughout the Old Testament in several scriptures and I won't take time for those today but the Old Testament uh, prophesies the coming of Christ. Here we have four times in the book of Isaiah. And so quickly, because uh, we've got a few things we'll do here at the end of the service, I, I want to go through this passage, and uh, if I can, and uh, give you a description by just a simple outline I'm giving to you on the screen. Uh, I'll probably go a little too fast where you even take time to take notes, uh, but I just want to give you an outline this passage if I can for you. First of all, you'll see in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, 
the person of Christ defined. His person is defined in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And you have his description more particular in verse number 7. It's the prophecy of the coming rule of Jesus on the earth in this passage. And uh, these verses gather together for us showing uh, the coming of his birth, his deity, his rule on the earth, his government, have you, and his kingdom and the eternity that is found of Christ. The joy of it is found in verse number 6. And that is, it's for us. Unto us, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. The purpose of his coming is found in that verse. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He, he came for us. When the fullness of time was come, Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, the Lord it says that he came, he came, he descended, and he came down lowly. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, hey, don't forget, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God. He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, things in heaven and under earth, and, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself, but notice that he came. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. That's the blessing. By the way, can you say you're us today? That's, that's me. That, I'm part of that we. I'm, uh, I'm included in uh, I am a part of God's family. He came for me. He came seeking for me. So the joy unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. And it says that the government will be upon his shoulder. This King Jesus will become the king of the world. The entire everything is upon his rule. I, I like what Paul said of Romans chapter 14, verse number 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose, that he might be Lord both of the dead and Lord of the living. He's the Lord, and the government, his ruling will be upon himself. And we'll know that being fulfilled uh, when he comes to establish his reign on this earth. But notice these names that were given him in verse number 7. When you come to this first name, uh, uh, theologians differ on whether wonderful counselors actually named as one characteristic or if it was actually two descriptions. If you'll let me this morning, I kind of grew up thinking it was, they were separate. Wonderful, then counselor. And uh, they all referred to God, the Father, God through Jesus Christ as to his character. But we think about the wonder or the wonder of the wonderful. Uh, he transcends all human understanding, so unique among all human beings, and yet he stands supreme above everyone else. His name is Wonderful. And you think about the wonder of Jesus for just a moment. There's a wonder about his birth. There's wonder about his ministry. There's a wonder about his crucifixion. There's a wonder about his resurrection and his ascension, his personal work that he's presently doing today. What is he doing today? He's interceding for us. What a wonder that is. 
And uh, yet the Father of all, uh, the Lord Jesus, sitting and reigning with the Father, He reigns. So there's a wonder about Jesus. And can you say this morning, truly, He's wonderful. And it's described to Him as being the wonderful Counselor. Think about that and, and, and who He is in this counseling and what He does. Uh, he reveals the mind of God. He's able to do that. He counsels from God's perspective because he is God, you see. And, and no one has to, have to, he never has had to seek anybody else's counsel or anybody else's mind. And he does whatever he wills to whomever he wills to however he wills according to his own counselor. But he's the counselor for us. He's omniscient knowing everything. Uh, that's who he is. And, uh, and, and considering that as the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the mighty God. That's the third name, verse number seven. And uh, I don't have to define these. You should know these very well. Uh, but when you think about this understanding of his person being defined, Isaiah says he's a mighty God. This scripture says in him dwells all the Godhead fully inside him. He's the fullness of deity and bodily form. Colossians chapter two, verse number nine, a mighty God. That's who he is. He's not only declared it, but he's been able to perform it, the great God that he is. Anybody heard that name, the old black preacher, S.M. Lockridge? I remember years ago hearing him preach as a young boy, as a young preacher, S.M. Lockridge. And I remember him saying about the lordship of Christ, about the might that God has. And, and uh, whether we believe or not who he is, but, but he didn't come along having to initial, he says, his, his, uh, his name in the in the, in the great Rocky Mountains because he's the Lord of the great Rocky Mountains. He didn't have to put a copyright on the songs a mockingbird sings because uh, he's the mighty God, the one who established and created all of that, the mighty fullness that God is in himself. I like that. His name will be called the mighty God. Now, you should know that performance in your life already of him. You should be experiencing that on a day by day basis you ought to know that it's a mighty God who gave you life and sustains your life and provides eternal life for you the mighty God that he is and that ought to be enough to just cause you to praise him and to thank him and rejoice a mighty that ought to be enough to take fear out of your heart you see and that ought to be enough to know that he's got the power to give you the wisdom you need to make daily decisions the mighty God he came to us. He came to us. And that's who he is, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father. The Father of eternity is how it's translated. All the ages meet in him, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 2. And the Son is not to be confused with the Father, although the Father and he are one. John chapter 10, verse number 30. And if, if, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. There's something interesting about this everlasting Father depicted in the deity of Christ himself. He's an eternal Father. And there's a lot of confusion sometimes in our thinking through scriptures about separating Jesus and God. And, and I think in one side and one thought process you can, but notice the, 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 uh, the inclusiveness of Jesus with God. He created everything. He's the everlasting Father. And he'll be called the Prince of Peace. 
There'll never be peace till he comes, except for those of us that now have, according to Romans chapter 5, peace with God. That comes when I'm justified and put in a right standing with him. When salvation has now been given to me, I've now have that peace with God. I've been brought back into that union that had been broken and separated. There's a peace with God. We think of the peace of God that we can experience, according to Philippians chapter 4, that rests upon us. Those that have peace with God can experience the peace of God. No one will ever have the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. But that's who he is. He's a prince of peace. And that's a reflection not only of his first coming, but his second coming in verse number 7, when he comes to establish an order of peace on this earth. At the throne of David, prophesied from the Old Testament, be fulfilled as we see in Revelation, and come and go filled as a, as, a, as a reign on this earth that's established as a millennial reign with Jesus Christ, ruling and reigning and bringing forth peace. Peace on the earth. That's what Luke said, that good will and peace given to men on the earth. And of this increase, his government and peace, it'll be an everlasting and it will be of no end. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 and 7, give to us his person, the person of Christ defined. Go back one chapter to verse number, chapter 7, verse number 14. And here you see his presence is declared. His presence is declared. Look in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Interpreted God with us. It's referred again in the gospel account, coming back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that Jesus will be known as this name, Emmanuel. That's, that's, the, that's the declaration of him coming as a God who dwells with us, a God who dwells among us. And when I begin to see in Scripture how that plays out, there are several things that come to mind quickly about this God. He's God with us in our creation. He created us. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on the earth. The visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and by him. He's created us. Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, a living soul. He is the God with us in our own being by his own creation of us. And number two, he's a God with us in our salvation. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That begotten means uh, best described, I guess, we, he came out of the Father, out of the very bosom, the being of the Father came Jesus. And he was designed to be the one given to us as a gift. And I'll reference that next Sunday morning in our Christmas Eve message. When you think about this gift given to us, that he provided a lamb to us. He provided a spirit to us through salvation. He provided his word, Jesus said, uh, uh, that was said of him in John chapter 1, that, uh, that was written of him, that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. It became flesh. And what did it do? It dwelt among us. You see that, Emmanuel? He dwells among us. 
So he's provided salvation in that he dwelt among us in our creation, the beginning of our soul in a being, now being redeemed in salvation. He's with us. And I hope you can say this morning, not only in my salvation, he's an Emmanuel, but in my administration, in my day-to-day affairs, he's with me. To know that he never leaves me and he never forsakes me. Hebrews 13, 5, part B, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There's Emmanuel right there. He's with us. He's with us today. He's with you wherever you are today. Whatever lot in life you find yourself is his created salvation being. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you in your loneliness. Numbers of widows in our church live by yourself alone after being with someone all your many years. I heard Darlene say that the other day in conversation. She said, you know, I've, I've never been alone until recent years. I had my mom and my dad and was married. Husband passed. I had my daughter with me. And I moved down here and I'm, I'm, I'm living alone. I've always lived with someone. He's with you. He's with you. Isn't that good? He's with you wherever stage you are in life. He's with the single parents. He's with the married parents. Hey, Salem, he's, he's with our church today. Isn't that good? He's with us. Discouraged or depressed, confused, uh, wandering, the presence of God is with us. He never leaves us. So in our day-to-day life, he's with us. There's Emmanuel. I like that. And not only that, he's with us in our resurrection. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. We don't need to be ignorant or uninformed about what happens to those in Christ who passed away and are asleep. And we don't grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself, verse 16, going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and are remaining or are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He's with us in our resurrection. By the way, I guess I could put another one in there I skipped over a while ago. Uh, After our administration, he's with us in our coronation. Psalm chapter 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Emmanuel, you're with me. You're with me. You see the Emmanuel in our creation, in our salvation, in our administration, in our coronation, our death, and in our resurrection and that's not enough. He's also with us in our glorification. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. And we have this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death's been swallowed up in victory because he is with us. And so we thank the Lord. And then not only that, eternally in our habitation, he's with us. I like Revelation chapter 21. And I just mark this in my Bible. Hey, would you let me read just a few verses out of Revelation chapter 21? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He's with us in our eternal habitation. 
For the first heaven, the first earth passed away, the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice with a throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God is with our, Are you getting it, church? He's with us. Emmanuel. His name shall be called Emmanuel. And from the day he formed us and fashioned us and created us, he'll be with us all the way through our eternity. He's with us. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and will be with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more sorrow, nor death, nor crying, neither any more pain, because all the former things have passed away. I love that. And it goes on to say that there's no need of the sun or the moon or the stars, the latter part of chapter number 21, because the Lord Jesus himself will give that light, that present glory that is there. It will bring their glory into it, and its gates shall never be shut by day, and there'll be no night there. As long as you started this journey from creation and received him in salvation, he's with you wherever you go. What a joy in this Christmas season. What a peace. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. He's with me. He's with me. And then lastly, I want to show you something in Isaiah 52. And Tom won't let me to go through this passage. But I'll tell you what. You'll see in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, his presentation described. We see the coming of his birth announced to us, defined to us, declared to us. But then we see the very purpose for his coming in Isaiah 52 and 53. These are the third and fourth mentions of Christ's coming and his person in the prophet, prophecy of Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, it's beautifully depicted about the Lord Jesus. Verse number 14 gives us a reference concerning his appearance, uh, the condition of his body form, his visage, what you saw and viewed in him was marred like no other man. Quite uncommon, the visage of Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, the next passage goes into telling, there was no form nor comeliness about him. You need desire of him when you saw him. When you began to see his presentation as to, as to what he looked like and how it was described uh, in, his, in his person. And all the way through chapter number 53, you see more of it uh, uh, unfolded to us of his description especially as God the Father saw him being wounded upon the cross. Notice it says, verse number 2, that he grows up before him as a young plant, like a young plant, and there's uh, like a root out of a dry ground, like in a hopeless uh, idea of him being somebody and formed and fashioned in such a powerful God that he would be. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, verse number 2. No beauty that we desire of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from him, uh, for men that hide their faces despised and we deceive him not. He's borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. That's the description of Jesus. And he was uh, pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. 
And oh, the blessed description, if you go through the whole chapter, the chapter number 53, you see the presentation of Jesus described that gives us some stories from the end of the, each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of his, of his crucifixion, the, 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 the brutal death that Christ would face on the cross, the punishment for our sins, the transgressions that he would bear on our behalf. And it gives our attitude towards him also in Isaiah chapter number 53. Uh, that's his description. Uh, that's his presentation. Uh, that's who he is. And that's what's given about the Lord Jesus and uh, so beautifully given to us. And so when we think about Isaiah chapter number 7, chapter number 9, uh, chapter number 52, chapter 53, we see his person defined. Uh, we see his presence declared and we see his presentation described in Isaiah 52 and 53. And so it says in verse number 9 of chapter 7 in closing, his kingdom and peace will never end. Isn't that a joy to your heart this morning? It will never end. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And to think that he shall reign forever. Exodus 15 18 says the Lord will reign forever and ever. Psalm 146, verse number 10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, but the, man, uh, but, but the, uh, but the day of the wicked uh, he brings to ruin. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. I guess that guy named Handel knew what he's writing uh, when, the Messiah, when, he, when he wrote that wonderful chorus and verse given to us, the description of the hallelujah chorus. And when we think about his kingdom and his rule is forever and forever. And so today, this Christmas season, is a good day to draw near to Jesus. Uh, he's Emmanuel. He's wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And he'll reign forever and forever. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. He offers to be with you. Are you sure you're there? Unto us, a son is given. Are you part of the us? Unto us, a child is born. A son is given. What joy in our hearts to think. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Jesus, my Savior, to Bethlehem came, laid in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful, blessed be his name, seeking for me, for me, seeking for me, for me, seeking for me, for me. Oh, it was wonderful, blessed be his name, seeking for me, for me. Unto us 
a son's been given unto us. A child is born. Lift up your heads, rejoice. Jesus has come. He dwells among us, and he's coming again. I hope that's your Christmas rejoice. You know, that's why you can have Mary in your Christmas, <laughs> a joy in your Christmas. Joy to the Lord. Joy to the Lord. The Lord has come. Joy to the world. Father, we thank you for the goodness of God found in the declaration of Jesus given to us from Isaiah's prophecy. May it be lived alive in our lives as we rejoice in this Christmas season. In thy name we ask it. Amen.